All right, let's take out our Bibles, if you will, and we'll go to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6 once again. If you are not familiar with the way that a Bible is laid out, you can find our text today in that blue Bible on the pew in front of you, page 927, I believe it is, Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 9 here in just a moment. A.W. Tozer once said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God may very well be the most important thing about you. None of us in this room have an accurate view of God. None of us in this room, view him as he really is. None of us comprehend the magnitude of his being or the force and the pervasiveness of his glory, which is why we have to keep coming back to it, right? We've got to keep coming back to it over and over again because none of us see God as he really is. We've got to keep looking at it from different angles. We've got to keep stretching our minds to know who and what he really is. And so we are here today, brothers and sisters, we are here today to behold the glory of God and then to respond in worship. That's what we're here to do, to see God and to see his glory and then to worship in our hearts. That's what we were doing just then. That's what we're doing right now as we come to his word. Let's read our text today from the book of Micah, chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 9, and I'm going to go to the end of the chapter. Micah 6, beginning in verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people." Now, I want to focus in today, while we look at the whole text, I want to focus in today and to take our theme from that phrase in verse 9 where it says, if you look with me one more time, verse 9, it is sound wisdom to fear your name. It is sound wisdom to fear the name of the Lord. Very memorably, Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. 
And so today, from our text, we're going to look at three aspects to that very thing, the fear of the Lord. Three aspects to the fear of the Lord today. We'll look at the wisdom of fearing the Lord. We will look at the humility of fearing the Lord. And we will look at the delight of fearing the Lord. Now, as we do so, I want you, to, I want you guys to know, right back here, happening right now behind you, you might not have noticed yet, we're going to have somebody that's being taken out by EMS services. Okay, So I want you guys to see that and to know that that's happening right now. But it seems to be... A situation that is at least under control enough to where we can still do this. All right? I don't want to be anybody to be distracted by that as it's happening. That's what's going on right now, okay? They've got people back there taking care of it. We've got enough help, uh, and we've got people who are on top of that situation, okay? Just want to let everybody know so that the elephant in the room is, 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 is essentially named, okay? That's happening, and so just be aware. All right, so three aspects of the fear of the Lord today. Again, We're going to look at the wisdom of fearing the Lord. We're going to look at the humility of fearing the Lord and the delight of fearing the Lord. So first, let's look at the wisdom of fearing the Lord. But as we look at the wisdom of fearing the Lord, just as it says there in verse 9, we have to take a step back for a moment and ask a more fundamental question, which is, what is the fear of the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, we learn a number of things throughout the Bible on what this means, the fear of the Lord. You might have heard this phrase thrown about by different people. Every now and then we'll hear somebody talking about, that's a God-fearing person. You ever heard somebody say that? That's a God-fearing man. That's a God-fearing woman. It's a God-fearing family or something like that. But what does it actually mean? Well, in Scripture we learn, first and foremost, that fearing the Lord means to hold him in reverence and awe. To have a reverence and an awe when you think about it. Think back to that quote from A.W. Tozer at the very beginning, right? What comes into your mind when you think about God? Well, the fear of the Lord means we think reverence, awe. That's how we feel when we think about God. That's how we hold him in our minds. The fear of God does not primarily mean being afraid all the time. At any time, the Lord might strike me down. It's not like the tiptoeing, walking on eggshells fear that a child has of a parent who might fly off the handle at any moment. Some of us might have had parents like that. I didn't, but I've known people who did. It's not that kind of fear when we're talking about fearing God. It's an awe and a reverence for who he is, holding him in his proper place in our minds. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29 are especially instructive here. Which says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now that text right there does a really good job of balancing what this fear of the Lord should mean. God is a consuming fire. He is, right? In the Old Testament, God's fire came out and consumed people at times who did not approach him in the right way. That's how holy he is, and that's how uh, uh, amazingly terrifying he can be. And yet, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are God's children and have been adopted into his family, we still must come to God and offer acceptable worship, it says, with reverence and awe. It's the fear of the Lord, right? Reverence and awe. Do you have that reverence and awe in your mind when you think about God? He is God. We should revere him. 
We should be in awe of who he is, right? While he is our father, he is also, as Jesus said in the beginning of the model prayer, he is our father who is in heaven, right? We hold those two together. He's our father. We've got that relationship with him, right? Your father that, that, that you love and that loves you, your father that has compassion on you, his understanding, and yet our father who is in the heavens, who does all he pleases, who is holy and righteous and glorious and majestic. We should be in awe of who he is. And so the, the fear of the Lord means reverence and awe. It also means, though, and we learn this from Jesus primarily, it means a healthy fear of what he can and will do to his enemies. Even if we are on his side, we should have a healthy fear of what God can and will do to his enemies. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear man. All they can do is kill you. That's the worst. There is someone who can do much more. Fear the Lord. Fear the power that comes from him. Do you remember when Jesus was in the boat in the middle of the storm and the disciples were afraid of the wind and the waves? Right? And they, they went to Jesus, pleaded with him to help. He stands up, he commands the wind and the waves to be still. And when the wind and the waves obey his voice, then it says the disciples were utterly afraid. They were afraid before of the wind and the waves. But when Jesus did that, they were afraid of him. Rightfully so. A healthy fear of the power of God, and we should have a healthy fear of what he can and will do to his enemies, making us think, I never want to be on the opposite side. I always want to be under the Lord's protection and care, under his wings. I never want to be his enemy. C.S. Lewis captured this so well in his children's stories, The Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never read these, I'd encourage you to. They're, They're wonderful to read at any age. But the the main character in all of the stories is the lion, Aslan, right? And Aslan is this powerful lion that his enemies are are deathly afraid of him, and rightfully so. But those who love good, they have a healthy fear of him too, right? They're they're drawn to him. He he helps them. He protects them. uh, he, He does things for them. But they still have a healthy fear of who he is and his power and what he can do if you are not on his side. And so the the fear of God also means acknowledging what God can and will do to his enemies, having a healthy fear of that. The fear of the Lord means acknowledging his authority as God and our proper place in relation to him. Fearing God means we acknowledge his authority, he's God. He rules the world, and then we see us in our proper place in relation to him, right? And so in that way, humility and the fear of the Lord go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. Because fearing God allows you to be properly humble. You see him for who he is, and then you see yourself for who you are in your proper place, right? We've often said an outsized sense of self means you're not seeing God for who he is. But the more you see God for who he is, the more you have a proper sense of how big you are and how important you are. So humility and the fear of God are tied up with one another. Arrogance would be the exact opposite of the fear of the Lord. 
fear of the Lord and arrogance. And so all of this, what is the fear of the Lord? All of this helps us to understand this is the fear of the Lord and this is true wisdom. True wisdom is fearing God. Fearing God is, as Proverbs says, the beginning of all wisdom, which means by implication, the ultimate foolishness is a lack of fear of the Lord. If true wisdom is found in fearing God, the ultimate foolishness is a lack of fearing the, fearing the Lord. This is the foolishness of the wicked. The wicked are foolish. Why? Because they do not fear God. Look at verse 11 in our text. In verse 11, we see that the man, there, there, there are men who have wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights. Now, what this is talking about is a marketplace where you would sell things, right? Maybe you're selling fruit, food, right? And someone comes in and says, I need a pound of bananas. And a man would, would get out his, his scale that has been adjusted beforehand to his advantage. And then he'd get out his bag of weights that say one pound, but really it's only about half a pound. But it says one pound, right? And you stack on the weights and you've got to keep stacking on more to get that person to pay you more money. They're swindling people out of their money with trickery, right? Wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights. Or look at verse 12. Verse 12 talks of those who are full of violence and speaking lies. Or then look at verse 16 in our text. Verse 16. This is one that, that might have confused you on first read-through. It says, You have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. Now these are two kings in the history of Israel. Omri and his son Ahab. You can read their, their bios, so to speak, in 1 Kings chapter 16. But in both of those bios of these two kings we read that they did more evil during their reign than all the kings who were before them. It says that of both of them. More evil during their reign than all the kings who were before them. In verse 16, God's word to the Israelites here is, you are walking in their ways. You are walking in their wickedness. See, the arrogance of the wicked comes from a lack of fear for God. Because they do not believe God will hold them accountable. They do not believe God will hold them accountable for their oppression and their deceit, for their swindling and for their lies and for their violence. But never forget, we see this over and over again in Scripture, God is the defender of whom? He's the defender of the weak. He's the defender of the oppressed. He's the defender of the marginalized and the wicked forget this. He is especially the defender of the weak, the marginalized, and the oppressed. And so beware, beware those who would use your status or power or influence to take advantage of someone else. Beware, because God is the special defender. He takes delight in, he works especially hard to defend the weak the powerless, the oppressed, and the marginalized. Listen to this random verse from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, which helps us understand a little bit better the fear of the Lord. Leviticus 19.14, it says, You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. And so the implication there is anyone who is cursing the deaf Right? Think about a deaf person walking down the street and people are, are throwing curses out at him and he, he can't hear. So we're laughing at his expense. He, he can't hear what we're saying. 
Right? Or putting a stumbling block before a blind person, laughing at their expense because of the evil that we can do to them. And God says in Leviticus chapter 19, those who do that do not fear the Lord. You, you shall not do this, but the opposite, you shall fear the Lord. Those who do that are not fearing God. They don't fear the protector and the defender of the weak, of the deaf, of the blind. They are arrogant. They have forgotten the fear of the Lord in their arrogance. And so one of the messages that we take from our text, and why is it wise to fear the Lord, is because it is utter foolishness to forget to fear the Lord. The ultimate in foolishness is a lack of fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It's a word for all of us today. Turn away from evil. And turn to the fear of the Lord. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you can figure out this life on your own. Don't think that you can figure out how to be saved on your own. Don't think that you can figure out how to live in such a way that you can be outside of God's judgment or God's accountability. No, don't be wise in your own eyes. Take the humility and the wisdom of the fear of the Lord. Speaking of humility, let's go now to the humility specifically of fearing God. We looked at the wisdom of fearing the Lord. Now we're in the humility of fearing the Lord. We said those who are not fearing the Lord are arrogant, but those who fear him are humble. We mentioned that the fear of the Lord should produce in us a healthy fear of what the Lord can and will do to his enemies. And so, in light of that... We must never presume upon our position with the Lord. We we must never presume upon God's kindness. On the one hand, as Christians, the Bible tells us we can have an assurance of our salvation. You can and should be assured of your salvation. You can and should have confidence that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. But Scripture also consistently warns us not to presume Upon the Lord or presume upon his kindness, right? We must never think there's no way I could ever fall outside of his favor and his grace. Once I'm in, I'm in forever. We must never think that. We must have the humility to know that we could fall to sin if we do not guard our hearts and our steps and our ways. We must have the humility to be diligent in guarding our hearts, guarding our steps, guarding our eyes. Because if we do not, we could fall away from him. Think about this. How do we react when a public figure, a prominent figure, falls in a way that that everybody sees? It's on the news. Perhaps it's adultery or sexual immorality. What do we think? How do we react in our minds? Do we think, "I, I can't believe someone would do that? Or do we think, if I'm not careful, that could be me? Because... I've got the same human heart that they do. I've got the same darkness within me that that they gave vent to. And so if I'm not careful, if I don't guard my steps and my ways, that could just as easily have been me. right? We've got to have a, a healthy fear, not just of the Lord, but of what we could do if we do not guard our hearts and our ways. This is the humility of fearing the Lord, not presuming upon his kindness, but understanding that we must abide in him. We must remain in him. We must guard our ways. 
Look at verses 14 and 15. There's another aspect to humility we see right here in our text where God says of those who who have this arrogance and this lack of fear, he says, you shall eat but not be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you and you shall put away but not preserve. And what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes but not drink wine. The point here is that God will frustrate all their work. If they forget the Lord, if they walk away from the Lord, if they don't fear Him, He can just frustrate all their work. And they can work as hard as they please. And they can do everything in their power to make their lives comfortable and good. And God can frustrate it all. The point here is that we must acknowledge in humility the fact that God is in control, not us. The Lord is in control, not us, brothers and sisters. If we forget the Lord, if we walk away from his commands and we start depending on ourselves, he can frustrate our work and he can take away our satisfaction and our comfort if he so pleases. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, before the Israelites go into the promised land, Moses is giving them his final word because the Lord has told Moses, you're not going in with them. You're going to die before you get in there. They're going to go in without you. So Moses is giving them one final word in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 28, he says, and the Lord says to them through Moses, that if they go into that promised land, and then they forsake the Lord, and they forsake his commandments, then the Lord will do just this. The Lord, it says, will make it to where a hundred of them flee at the pursuit of one pagan warrior. He will make it to where they they plant and they sow, but everything that comes up, it's not theirs. He'll take it away. He'll make locusts eat it, or, or he'll make it rot. He'll make it to where it doesn't come up like it should. He actually says in Deuteronomy 28, he will cause them to be restless. And he says, when it is day, you will wish it was night. And then when it's night, you'll wish it was day. He will cause that to happen if they walk away from him, if they do not trust him. Think about that. I mean, I I take it for granted all the time that I can get a good night's sleep. I take it for granted all the time that I, I can lay my head down on the pillow when it's about that time and get a good night's sleep. We all do this until, until that time, that season of life where we can't get a good night's sleep, right? And when you go through that time, all of a sudden you're not taking it for granted anymore. But, but what can you do when you can't sleep? What can you do? All you can do is wait and pray. Like, God help me. Like, when I go to sleep, I don't, I don't work myself into that. It's a gift from the Lord. It just happens. I don't even understand it, really, when it comes down to it. But I know Psalm 127, verse 2, where it says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You can go all day and all night. You can think, if only I could stretch more hours into the day and more productivity. But God says it's in vain. Because those that he loves, he gives them sleep. He gives them rest. God is in control, not us. There's a humility that we must have in fearing the Lord. We must never become so arrogant as to think that we are independent of God and his sovereignty. That I made myself into who I am, not God. That everything I've gotten for myself, I've done it on my own back. In May of 2020... If you remember, we were right in the middle of the the coronavirus pandemic's height. May of 2020, the former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, 
responded to the fact that the COVID curve was beginning, at least at that time, it was beginning to flatten in his state. There was some good news. In his state, the COVID curve was beginning to flatten, at least at that time. And he responded and he said to the media, he said, the number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Faith did not do that. We did that. I'll leave it up to you to decide how that ended up for him. But it reminded me of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, where he said arrogantly, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? And immediately God took it all away from him, including his sanity. He drove him out to live among animals. It said his hair was matted. He was chewing the grass. His fingernails got long and gangly. The Lord did this because God can take it all away in an instant. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had it all. Babylon was the greatest power the world had ever seen up to that point. God took it all away from him in an instant because of his arrogance. He did not fear the Lord. God can take away all of our hard work and our intellect and our wisdom and bring it to nothing. But on the other hand, The flip side of this is actually wonderful news. On the other hand, God can feed 5,000 people with the bread of one little boy's lunch and the fish from one little boy's lunch, right? In the times where it seems like we should have it all, God can make it to where we feel like we don't have anything. God can take away our satisfaction. But in the times where it seems like we shouldn't have anything, God can give us a satisfaction in our hearts that we can't even explain, a peace that passes understanding, if you will, right? The Lord can do this. God can bless you with more satisfaction and happiness than you ever thought possible. Even if the economy is tanking and your bank account is low. Listen to Jeremiah 33 verse 9. Another very interesting mention of the fear of the Lord in scripture. It says, God is is talking to them, and this, this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. And then watch this. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity that I provide for it. Now notice, it doesn't say they shall fear and tremble because of all the threats I bring. It doesn't say they shall fear and tremble because of my wrath and all the punishments that I rain down on them. It says they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and the prosperity that I provide for it. And so let's think about Thanksgiving here for a second. We should fear the Lord if we are in a season of life where he is blessing us. We should fear and tremble knowing that he could take it all away in any moment. And it's all from his hand, and I don't deserve any of it. The blessings that I have, the comfort that I have, the satisfaction in my heart and mind and body that I have, I don't deserve any of it. It's from the Lord. Thank you for blessing me with this, God, because you didn't have to, and you don't have to. And you could take away at at any moment and... You would be right to do so. Thank you for letting me experience this life that you have. Please let me continue, right? It's a humility in fearing the Lord. Every good thing we have is from him. And so let us cultivate hearts of thanksgiving, acknowledging his gifts and his power, acknowledging that we would have nothing without him 
This is the humility of fearing the Lord. And so we've seen the the wisdom in fearing the Lord, the humility of fearing the Lord. Now let's look at the delight of fearing the Lord. The delight of fearing the Lord. That might not make sense on the surface, but let me tell you, it is biblical to the core. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, where it says, O Lord, this is Nehemiah praying, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And then he goes on with his prayer. He's saying, we delight to fear your name. Now, what what sense can we make out of that? You fear the Lord, but you delight to fear the Lord? What, what does that even mean? Now, what's interesting about this is, if you asked all the people here who are around you, right? Let's say this doesn't make sense to you, and so you're asking your neighbor. We might not be able to explain it in really good words that make a ton of sense, but anyone in here who's walked with Christ for, for more than a year or so, and genuinely walking with Christ can, can tell you, yeah, I, I know exactly what this is. I might not be able to tell you what it is, but I know it when I feel it. I know it when I see it. Because we delight to fear the Lord. We fear the Lord, but it gives us joy. It, it, it makes our hearts sing. Why? Why does fearing the Lord make us delight? Well, it's because knowing the Lord brings us delight. Knowing the Lord brings us joy. And to fear the Lord, that's the beginning of knowing him. That's the beginning of wisdom. You can't know the Lord without fearing him. And knowing the Lord brings us joy. Right? It's like, it's, I'm going to go back again to Chronicles of Narnia. It's like Aslan. Right? Aslan the lion in Chronicles of Narnia. Those who are around him who loved the good, they feared him but not like their enemies did. The enemies were just deathly afraid, and they should have been. But those around him, they feared him, but not the same way. If you were on his side, it was a fear that drew you closer. You, you almost couldn't understand it. I'm afraid, but I don't want to run away. I want to, I want to get closer to the one that I fear. Everyone always longed to be around him in those stories, for him to grace them with his presence. That's the Lord. The Lord is the lion on our side. And just like Aslan, he's he's not safe, but he's good, right? I can't tell you he's safe at all, but he's good. And if he is for us, who can stand against us? Let me turn your attention to one last place in Scripture, a prophecy of Jesus Christ that we read from the, the book of Isaiah chapter 11. As I read this, know as I read it, it's a prophecy of Jesus. You can look back in Isaiah 11 later and, and see the context. It's clearly a prophecy of Christ. And in Isaiah 11, verse 3, it says of Jesus, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord. Why did Jesus delight in the fear of the Lord? Because he delighted to know the Lord in such a way that no one has ever known him. He delighted to do the Lord's will. Remember Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, and right after that, his disciples come back. They were were sent away to get food. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they they can't understand. Surely no one has brought him food. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. To do his will, it's my food. I delight in it. Jesus delighted 
to depend on God's strength and God's power and God's protection. He lived in such a way that he didn't have a place to lay his head during his ministry. He didn't know where his next meal was coming from. And he delighted to to throw himself onto the arms of God and God's providence, providing everything that he needed. He delighted to trust that the Lord would give him everything that he needed. He delighted, even as he was here, to submit to God the Father, even though Jesus was equal with God. It's a wonderful thing to study the life of Jesus and to see the ways that he submitted to the Father, even though he was equal with God. He was, Philippians 2 tells us, he was in very nature God. But being in very nature God, Philippians 2, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in human form, it says, He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Rest assured, brothers and sisters, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only question is, will you do it willingly now or unwillingly then on judgment day? That's the question. Will we bow the knee? Will we confess Jesus as Lord willingly now or will we be forced to do so unwillingly on judgment day to our eternal detriment? That's the question before each and every person who ever lives, each and every person who hears the gospel. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the message of the gospel? Jesus died for your sins. Jesus paid the penalty so that you wouldn't have to pay it yourself. But it doesn't just automatically apply to you. It only applies to you if you come to him in faith and repentance. Asking for God's forgiveness through his name and to be baptized into Jesus so that you can have your sins washed away. God's forgiveness doesn't apply to every human being. It only applies to those who humble themselves in the fear of the Lord. But it's anybody. Anybody can do this. Anybody can get in on this. This is, it's, it's so simple and yet so hard at the same time. Anyone can come. Anyone can give their heart and their life to Jesus. Anyone can humble themselves and ask for the Lord's forgiveness through Christ. Anyone can get in on this. But it takes that humility of fearing the Lord. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Turn away from evil and fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Right now, I want to spend just a few moments, as we do each week, in silent prayer individually, each one of us responding to what the Lord just laid on our hearts. We give this time each week after the sermon because we know that all of us need to respond to the Lord's word. God just spoke to us, so now what will we speak to him? And so we give a few moments of silent reflective prayer, and after those few moments we'll come back together and we'll have an invitation time to those who who need to respond to God's word publicly. Uh, But for the next few moments, let's pray silently together.